Gracious God, thank you for the gift of a new day. Thank you for the place and the opportunity to gather and to worship you. And God, we, we all know that we've got a lion in our lungs. It's just that so often we're afraid of letting that lion roar for you. We'll roar for sports teams and we'll roar when we're upset and we'll roar when someone does us wrong. But God, you want us to use that power that you've given us in our voices to praise you. And so, God, we're here this morning, and we recognize who you are, God. We thank you that you are God. We thank you that we can trust you. We thank you that you love us and that you give us the opportunity to love you in return. God, we know that you gather your people together and you make divine appointments with us. And so each one of us is here, whether live or online, God, because you've got something for us. So we ask this morning, whether it's through the words of a song, connecting with someone maybe we have never met before or that we haven't seen in a long time, Maybe it's through your word and the message, God. Whatever it is, we pray that each and every one of us would hear and understand and know what it is that you've gathered us here for. So, God, we give you this time, and we just pray that you would open our ears and our hearts and our minds that we could hear what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So I'm about to age myself a lot right here. But here we go. You ready? How many of you know what a switchboard operator was? Thank you for aging yourselves with me. My grandmother was a switchboard operator, and I thought it was so cool because we'd walk into her house, and right inside the door on the right, as I recall it, was this big wall and this panel. And for all of you young people, that was uh, back when we had phones that actually connected to your wall in your house. And my grandma's job was to take the person that wanted to make a call and connect them with this two cables to the person they wanted to talk to. And she would connect the person who wanted to talk with the person they wanted to talk to. Then between services, I found out my mom used to do that as well. I never knew. I come from a a family of people who connect people to people. And I realized early on in ministry that that that's what we do as Christians. That was my job as a pastor was not... Not to go out and be something special myself, but God puts us in a place where we get to connect people who have needs and gifts and talents and abilities to people who need them or who can use them. We had a guy here at first service who saw something in me about 20 years ago and connected me to my first opportunity to plant a church. And in a very real way, because he made that connection, it opened a whole lot of doors that ended up becoming this place. And I got to thank him for that this morning, and that was really cool. Well, we're going to talk about Paul again today. We're going to uh, the two letters he wrote to a young man named Timothy. Paul had connected to Timothy when Timothy was very young. Uh, Paul knew his mother and his grandmother. And, and this letter, we're going to go to 2 Timothy is where we're going to spend our time. You can read 1 Timothy on our own. We're going to touch base on it here in just a moment. But Paul is in prison. Paul knows that he's nearing the end of his life. Things aren't looking good for Christian believers in Rome, especially Christian believers who are in prison. What history lets us know is that Paul, in the the persecution of Christians by Nero, that horrible king, uh, Caesar of Rome, that horrible king ended up beheading Paul not long after this letter was written. He wrote uh, two letters to Timothy, two letters to Titus. They're not very long. They're very personal. And, and what they really are is they're pastoral. They're personal letters. Paul is pouring his heart out to Timothy. He's, he's wanting to be a pastor that helps Timothy understand how to lead and to grow a church. But he also is wanting to be a mentor. And so he's pouring himself into this young man named Timothy. There's uh, two guys 
that Paul writes and talks about his sons in the faith, their child in faith. And that's Timothy and Titus. Of all the people that Paul met, of all the ones that he knew, just these two, and they're, they're like I said, they're three very short letters. In 1 Timothy, though, that we're not going to look at, uh, we're going to touch base on a couple of verses because as we get to the end, we're going to talk about how important it is that what we do is that we share God with people and that we're clear about what it is that God says and what it is that God's Word says. And to do that, we have to read it very carefully. And so in 1 Timothy, and don't, don't hear me say this shouldn't be in the Bible. People have told me that. That's not what I'm saying at all. But we're going to get a good glimpse of Paul's heart. Listen to what he says. 1 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to jump through a few verses here. I want, I want, he must, he must, you must, he must, he must, he must, he must not, you must. Over and over and over, he has these strong declarations about what he wants Timothy to do and how Timothy is to grow the church. Not once does he say God says. This is Paul using his experience and his time as a leader trying to shape the young Timothy. But there's a couple of statements that get us caught up in the church. One of those is chapter 2, verse 11 of 1 Timothy 1. He says, women should learn quietly and submissively. I do not let women teach men or have authority over them. Let them listen quietly, for God made Adam first and after her word he made Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived by Satan. The woman was deceived and the sin was the result. He's not saying that God says women should be silent. He's saying in his experience, he does not let them. And we need to understand that there's an awful lot of the passionate Paul that's trying to help shape Timothy into the kind of pastor that Paul is. Then he makes this statement that, has been confusing for 2,000 years, but women will be saved through childbearing, assuming they continue to live in faith, love, holiness, and modesty. It isn't that that shouldn't be in the Bible. Paul wrote it. It should be in the Bible. God decided that. But it also doesn't tell us once that God said those things. It's Paul promising or Paul making those, those uh, statements that are strong statements. When we talk to people about Jesus, we need to make sure that we're repeating what the Bible says and what God has says, not what God has said, not what we want the Bible to say. And so Paul is, is imploring Timothy to, to uh, not be afraid of being young. He talks about that because Timothy at this time was only about 20 years old. People are, are questioning his youth. Does he really know enough about the faith? Does he really know God enough? Should he really be leading a church? And Paul says, don't let them dismiss you because of your youth. It's an important phrase for all of us. I know when I got started in ministry, I realized really early on I was younger than the vast majority of the people who I was pastoring. And I felt like I was too young to effectively be a pastor. And I, and I kept going for a long time with that thought in ministry. And then something switched and my thought became, I'm too old to be relevant to a lot of people. And so what Paul says to Timothy is, don't let them dismiss you because you're young. I would add, and this isn't in the Bible, but I would add, don't let them dismiss you because you're old. The question is, do you have a relationship with Jesus and are you sharing it with people? And that's what Paul wants to get across to the young Timothy. His purpose in writing these letters is in 1 Timothy 1.5. He says this, The purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and genuine faith. That's what Paul wants Timothy to know. But how do you know what you know? How do you know what's true? How do you know what's real? How do you know what you can trust? How do you know the difference between right and wrong? 
How do you know the difference between good and evil? How do you know the difference between godly and worldly? How do you know? Paul would say because what's in God's Word is what God wants us to know. God wants us to know it and to believe it and to trust it. And that's the whole point of him writing these two letters to Timothy. He starts out, 2 Timothy 1, if you've got your Bibles with you. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. Back in Galatians at the end, he says, Notice how I write these words with large letters with my own hand. Paul had someone who was doing a lot of writing for him at this point in his life. His hands just didn't work the way they used to. This lets us believe that someone else is writing because they say this letter is from Paul. It doesn't say it's written by Paul. Chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I've been sent out to tell others about the life he has promised through faith in Jesus. Paul is speaking in authority because he wants Timothy to listen in authority. I'm writing to Timothy, my dear son. Timothy and Titus were the only two that he called his true child. May God the Father of Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace and mercy and peace. That's the introduction to the second letter. He goes on in verse 3. Timothy, I thank God for you. Gets me wondering. How many people in your world do you thank God for? In all the 911 prayers and the things that are falling apart and the stuff that isn't going well, how many people do you just slow down and say, God, thank you for... Fill in the blanks. How many people do you just simply say, God, thank you for this person. Thank you for spouse or child or friend or employer or employee. Thank you for. So often we we just do the prayers where we ask God for stuff. Paul starts out and he says, Timothy, I thank God for you. The God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Paul is going back because he was a Jew of Jews. He said it himself. His ancestors worshiped God, the same God. But now Paul and Timothy know Jesus, God's only son. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. How often do you pray for people? How often do you pray at all? Paul says, Timothy, I think about you constantly, constantly, I pray for you. I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted, and I will be filled with joy when we're together again. You can hear Paul's heart for Timothy. He loves him like a son, a son in the faith. He is mentoring him, loving him, helping him understand how to be a pastor, so he's being a pastor to him. The thing that's sad is he doesn't ever get to see Timothy again. Later on, he asks him, when you come to visit, I hope you can come to visit and bring this stuff with you. But it turns out that that happened. That never happens. He never gets that chance. So Timothy is hearing these last words from his dear mentor and father figure, Paul. I remember your genuine faith. That strikes me. What do people remember you for? Do they remember you for how hard you work? Do they remember you for for how you built a business or how much you loved your family? Or do they remember you for how much you love Jesus? See, people are going to remember you. That's all we got when we're gone is the memory, right? It's the only thing that's left is how people remember us. Paul says, I remember you. I remember your genuine faith. What a great thing to be remembered for. For you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. He's talking generational faith. Timothy didn't happen upon the Christian faith on his own. He learned it. He inherited it from his mother and his grandmother. Timothy is a product 
of a Christian mother and a Christian grandmother. Generational faith. And I think when we talk about this building, we're, we're talking so much about we want to get this building put up for our kids and how many that are running around and how many we've got the opportunity to reach. And you've heard me say this before, and this is part of what drives me. This book, this Bible, this thing that sometimes we have in our house and it just collects dust. If we don't take this general, generational faith stuff seriously, do you realize this book is one generation away from being forgotten, ignored, and destroyed? If there's not a reason to believe it, if you don't know that the ultimate truth of life and death sits in this book, if you don't know this is God's Word to you, if someone doesn't teach our young people, where are they going to learn? How are they going to know? How are they going to know right from wrong, good from evil? Generation, paying it forward. That's what we've got the opportunity to do as a congregation for our young people, for people we haven't even met. He says, and I know that same faith continues strong in you. We pass the living truth of our faith on to the next generation as we go stronger. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift that God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. The Bible tells us that when we give our life to Jesus, when we're baptized, that suddenly the Holy Spirit begins to live within us. And for every new believer, the Bible says, the Holy Spirit of God gives us at least one spiritual gift. Now, it might be something that you like to do. It might be something that you're already good at. But it's not a natural gift. It's not a natural ability. If you're a great basketball player, volleyball player, or football player, that's athletic ability. I'm talking spiritual gifts. We talk about people. They're a gifted athlete. They're a gifted leader. They're a gifted speaker. That's different than spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are given to every Christian. And it's not to make you a super believer. It's for you to give it back to your local congregation to make the local congregation be able to become everything God called it to be. When we talk about our capital campaign and that we're all in it together, that's the way God sees the Christian churches, that we're all in it together. And so if Jesus is your Savior, if you've given your life to Him and you live for Him, you have at least one spiritual gift. Maybe you know what it is, maybe you don't. If you don't and you want to, talk to us. We'd love to help you understand that. And he goes on and he says, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. I'm guessing the younger Timothy has got some fear and timidity in him, trying to think about how it is that he's going to talk about God to a group of people who are older than he is. The responsibility of growing and building a church. The responsibility of making sure that people hear correctly the Word of God given to them. And Paul says, you know what? His, his message is, be bold. You don't have a spirit of fear and timidity. Paul, you have a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. And that's true of all of us as Christians. The question is, do we live with that? I struggle with this one all the time. Uh, man, I'll tell you, it gets to about 8 o'clock on a Saturday night, and I start looking for, boy, maybe I don't feel so good. Someone else should speak. Um, I'm not sure I've got a message fully prepared. I am not the world's most comfortable public speaker. I love preparing and researching and reading, but I know God called me to do it, and so I can't not. And sometimes we let fear and, and we let timidity take over, and we don't exercise our gifts because, eh, we'd rather not. Maybe somebody else can do it. Paul's telling Timothy, don't talk yourself into that. You just go do what it is that you're called to do. And so, for me, I, I, I hear other preachers all the time, and man, I wish I could talk like that guy. 
I wish I could tell stories the way that one does. But I realize all that I can do is be what God called me to be. All that you can do is be what God called you to be. But you have to be willing to step out and do it. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. Don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for Him. Sometimes the biggest hurdle that we have in sharing our faith with people is we're afraid of what they're going to say about us. We're afraid that we're going to feel ashamed that they're going to make fun of us or mock us or make us feel silly or stupid when in fact they're not making a decision about us at all. They have to make a decision about Jesus. We just have the responsibility to tell them. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. Don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for Him. With the strength that God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of good news. (laughs) We don't want to suffer for our faith much, do we? We'll do what's easy, as long as it doesn't take too much time and take me too far out of my comfort zone and too much money. We in the American church, we've had the luxury of not having to suffer much. Paul, he's had to suffer. He knows what he's talking about. Rocks thrown at him, left for dead, thrown in prison. Rocks thrown at him again, thrown in prison again, shipwrecked, on and on and on. And Paul says, you know what, I'm just going to keep on going. He says, don't be ashamed of me because I'm in prison, and don't be ashamed of Jesus. But then he says, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. Are you ready to suffer, really suffer, because you believe in Jesus? More than ever, Christians all over the world are paying the ultimate price. They're losing their lives. They're going to prison. They're being separated from families because they believe in Jesus. And here's how that begins. It begins that that somebody, whether it's a government or a group of people or somebody with a different agenda, starts making being a Christian the not cool thing to do. And then they start saying things that aren't true about Christians, that suddenly Christians become the bad guys and the bad women. And then before you know it, it's, it's culturally cool, acceptable to give Christians a hard time. And then suddenly it becomes illegal and Christians start ending up in jail. We've got pastors around the world who are jailed all the time for talking about Jesus. Are you ready to suffer for your faith? I don't know where America is going, but it's looking like there could be a chance of that for some people here. Do we believe in Jesus so much that we're ready to suffer for him? Paul tells Timothy, be ready to suffer for the sake of the good news. For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. Did God change his plan somewhere along the way? No. Paul is saying that's always been God's plan to send us Jesus. And now he's made all of this plain to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior. Plain to us meaning that it's clearly written in God's Word for anyone to read and believe. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. And God chose me to be a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of good news. Paul was called and set aside to be an apostle, a preacher, a mission planter. All of these things we look at and go, wow, I could never be a Paul. But that's not an excuse not to be who God called you to be. True story, I spent eight years coming up with a whole lot of really rotten reasons that I gave God that I wasn't going to go to seminary because I couldn't imagine myself standing up here doing this. One of my favorites was, I can't sing very well and I don't play guitar, so no one's going to hire a pastor like that. 
And then I realized even if I didn't do those things, I'd end up having to give a sermon someday. And I remember the first time I read in church, and it was just a small passage, and I was probably in confirmation. And I'm not sure it was my mom or dad, but I got home and I said, how did I do? And I think my dad said, I've never heard that passage read so quickly before. <laughs> but I'm done! God called Paul to be a pastor. God called you to do something too. Your spiritual gifts are what God uses the Holy Spirit to empower you to carry out the work that God has called you to in this world and for our church. That is why I am suffering here in prison, Paul says. But I'm not ashamed of it. For I know the one in whom I trust, and I am sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. Do you know in whom you trust? Do you know that the only thing worth trusting in this world is Jesus? Or are you still trusting hard work, trusting finances, trusting a portfolio, trusting a job? He says, I know the one in whom I trust. Hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching you've learned from me. Not the specifics, but the pattern, he says. A pattern shaped by the faith and the love that you have in Christ Jesus. He's not telling them how to specifically be a pastor and to lead people. He's saying, this is the pattern that I've given you, Timothy. You're going to have to live it out the way God calls you to. Same is true for you and I. Through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, carefully guard the precious trust that has been entrusted to you. You know what the precious trust is? The truth of this book. And when I talk about it becoming irrelevant and forgotten and ignored within just a generation, if we do that, we don't just drop the ball. We completely fail in holding on to what has been entrusted to us, and that's the faith. As you know, everyone from the province of Asia has deserted me, even uh, Phagellus and Hermogenes. He feels a little bit like Elijah. He's the only one left. He's the only one still being faithful to God, which is why he's reaching out to Timothy. That isn't true, of course. But so often when things don't go our way, we feel all alone. He says, may the Lord show special kindness to Onesophorus and his family because he often visited and encouraged me. He was never ashamed of me because he often visited and encouraged me. He was never ashamed of me because I was in chains. When he came to Rome, he searched everywhere until he found me. May the Lord show him special kindness on the day of Christ's return. And you know very well how helpful he was in Ephesus. This guy was helpful to Paul in Rome and to Ephesus. And he's really saying to Timothy, Timothy, I could use a visitor. I could use a friend. Who out there in your world needs a visitor or a friend? Who out there needs someone to just share a little bit of the hope of Jesus in their world because they just don't hear it? Maybe they're the ones that are feeling all alone. And maybe you're the one that they're looking to to come and share a little bit of the good news with them. See, it, it, the question really boils down to for Timothy, and it boils down for you and I. Are you going to follow God's truth as, as given to us in His Word, or are you going to follow the truth of the world? Because the truth of the world may be fun, it may be exciting, it may be feel good, but it will lead us to destruction every single time. But the truth of God's Word will lead us to salvation and eternity in heaven. But there's more than just what you're going to follow. See, Paul's writing these letters to encourage Timothy because he knows that Timothy is a young leader. He knows that Timothy has been called and, and, and given the responsibility and the opportunity to lead people in their faith to Jesus. 
And so whatever you do for a living, maybe you're a student, that's your full-time job. Maybe you work part-time somewhere. Maybe you work full-time somewhere. Maybe you have your own business and you've got 50 or 100 or 1,000 people that work for you. No matter what you do, no matter where you are in the world and at what point in your life, at what age, you're a leader. Every single one of us is a leader. Here's why I say that. Somebody out there looks to you for advice. Somebody out there looks for wisdom. Somebody out there is looking for uh, an idea of how to do the next step in their life, how to face the next challenge. If you've ever, ever been asked, what would you do? If you've ever been asked, what would you say? Maybe someone has come to you and said, how would you handle this? What they're doing is they're putting you in a position of being a leader. And if every one of us is going to be honest about that and realize that we're all a leader, Paul obviously was a leader. Timothy was a young leader who was growing. You are a leader because people are looking for you, to you for direction. The question, and this is what Paul is addressing, are you going to lead them to the things of this world that will be death and destruction, or are you going to lead them to Jesus? Because in this place that you are right now in your life, and you might feel like the wheels fell off your bus three weeks ago, there are still people that are looking to you for direction. There are still people that see you as a leader. And if Paul was writing this letter to you and I, I think that he would be saying, where are you focusing? Where are you leading them? Are you leading them to the feel-good things of this world? Or have you put your faith and hope and trust in me and you're leading them to Jesus? That's why our mission statement is so simple. Love Jesus. Let's make sure we get that one straight first. Love people. And we love people by serving them, right? And then teach people to love Jesus. That's a leadership step. That's a discipleship step. That's a help people to know Jesus even better step. So if you understand that you're a leader, then you have the responsibility to lead well. Are you leading people to Jesus? Let's pray. God, thank you for Paul. Thank you for his incredible heart. God, thank you for the way he makes himself so clear in his word. And, and you know, when he says things like he must, they must, I do not, those are, those are his strong admonitions. And it belongs in your word because it helps us to understand who Paul is. But God, that's, he's not attributing that stuff to you. But then he goes on and he's very clear of your will, of your direction, of what it is that you want for all of us as believers. And Paul's words to Timothy, the encouragements, the challenges, God, we can take all of those and we can see those for ourselves because while we may not be called to pastor a church, all of us are called to lead people. There are people around us who are looking for direction. And the only eternal, life-giving, true direction that we can give them is to point to Jesus. God, help us to do that. Help us to be faithful in doing that and help us to not be fearful in doing that. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you accept the fact that you're a leader, you can either approach that out of fear and timidity or you can approach that with gratitude and a sense of opportunity. Because as a leader, you have the opportunity to be able to help direct someone to the only person who can change their entire eternity, not just their moment, but their eternity, and that's Jesus. 
And really all that God asks us to do is to tell the truth of Jesus and our experience with him in our life. That's evangelism. That, that's sharing your faith. It's a simple, simple thing. And so just think about this week, who out there might need a word of encouragement? Who out there maybe doesn't know Jesus and just needs an invitation to come to church with you? Who out there needs you to help them make a better choice or a better decision? That's what being a leader is. Thanks for coming, everybody. Have a great week. we got one more song before we go.